0: Tell me, my friend, has this gospel ever disturbed you? Has it ever made you ask yourself questions? Has it ever put you into difficulties about yourself? It's meant to do that. It's the call people to repentance, to a thinking, to a changing of their minds, and to a reception of the truth. Good morning, Cross Family. Uh, this is a little bit different today, and uh, I'm standing in this room this morning with just a few others. And uh, unfortunately, we believe it's in the very best interest of our church family that it remained that way today. Uh, as late as last night at, at 10 o'clock, we were still planning to come together, uh, approach things cautiously today, and gather as a church family. But uh, some new information came to us uh, late last night that made it quickly and abundantly clear Uh, that it was just not in the very best interest of our church family to gather today. So our hope this whole week has been uh, that we would be able to hang on for one more weekend, at least with our worship gatherings. Uh, But that was unfortunately not in the cards. So what's gonna happen today uh, is you're gonna get the sermon online this morning. uh, And then in coming weeks, if it is continued to be necessary for us to, not meet together in person. We'll be recording entire services uh, in advance, sharing those online, and we'll be giving you information in the next few days about what those gatherings would look like. But uh, this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 103, and so I'll just invite you to turn with me there in your Bibles. If this is your first time joining us today, uh, this is a little bit weird, obviously, and to catch you up to speed with where we are as a church family. A couple of weeks ago, we started a new message series Called Fuel and Fire, where we've been looking at uh, the key doctrines of the Christian faith, what we believe, why we believe it, why it matters, and what it means for our lives. So last week, as a church family, we looked at the doctrine of the Trinity: how God is three distinct persons, each person is fully God, and there is one and only one God. There's uh, our God is is not three or one. Our God is three and one. And so what we're going to be doing today and for the next couple of weeks is looking at each person of the Trinity: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And today we're gonna be looking at who is God the Father. A very popular book within my generation that was uh, formative as we were sort of coming into our own and our faith uh, was Donald Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz, released in the early 2000s. I remember reading this as a freshman in college at Appalachian State, and the book was very, popular not just for some of the points that it made, but for a lot of the questions that it raised. As Donald Miller reflected on uh, some of his own troubled childhood and then reflected on the cultural landscape and the crisis of fatherlessness that we're facing uh, within this generation today, he asked a very real and raw and transparent question early on in the book. He asked, why would God want to call himself father when so many fathers abandon their children? Now, if you're like me and you were born into a family where you were blessed and fortunate enough to have a father who loved you, who cared for you, who provided for you, who looked out for you, who raised you, who pointed you to Jesus, uh, if if that's your story, then you probably don't have as much difficulty calling God father. No father's perfect. My father wasn't perfect. As a father, I'm not perfect. Um, but uh, for some of us, it's a little bit easier to call God father than maybe it is for others because if you grew up in a home without a father or you had a father who harmed you or who abandoned you, who left your family, who didn't raise you, who didn't point you to Jesus, then I think the question that Donald Miller asks here is a very legitimate question for you to ask. But the God of scripture has clearly revealed himself to us as father. So we really have the option of of saying that he's not a father. So the question we, we wanna look at this morning isn't so much is God a father, but since he's a father, What kind of father is he? And so I I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. I I don't know uh, where you're at. I don't know what your story is, but I just wanna be able to say right off the bat today, our God is not a deadbeat, dad. He is not going to abandon you. He is not going to leave you. He's not going to cause you harm. Our God is a good and loving father who cares about his children. So this is directly from our doctrinal statement, what we believe about God the Father. God as Father reigns with providential care over his universe, his creatures, and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of his grace. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise. God is Father in truth to those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is fatherly in his attitude toward all So again, as we saw last week, we have one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person of the Trinity has his own unique role in relation to the other members of the Trinity. So we see of God the Father in Scripture, that he authors the plan of history for all of creation and humanity, that's Psalm chapter two. He sent the Son into the world, that's John five thirty seven. He's the Father of all creation in one sense, but he's the Father of all who are uh, by faith united with him through uh, his Son, Jesus Christ, in a unique sense. All people are called his offspring, that's Acts 17, 29. He's the father of Israel, that's Exodus four twenty two. He's the father of Christ, that's Matthew 3, 17. And he's the father of all who are in Christ, that's Ephesians 1 and Galatians 3. So how do we even begin to explain or to comprehend the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise? Some of the names he uses to express himself in scripture, he's Elohim, meaning that he's the strong one. He's Jehovah or Yahweh, the great I am. He's Adonai, he is the Lord his word tells us that he's omniscient. It tells us that he's holy. He's just, he's loving. He's true. He's free. He's independent. He's omnipotent. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's immutable, meaning that he never changes. He's omnipresent and he's sovereign. He's El Elyon, meaning he's the most high. He is El Olam, the everlasting God. He is El Shaddai, the almighty God. He's Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord provides. He's Jehovah Nissi, meaning the Lord is my banner. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of hosts. He's Jehovah. Makadashem, the Lord thy sanctifier. He is Jehovah Roy, the Lord my shepherd. He is Jehovah Tzinkanyu, the Lord our righteousness. He's Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. He's Yahweh Elohim Israel, the Lord God of Israel where do we even begin to describe this God? And and as much as I want to spend our time today preaching a 30-point sermon on all those things, and and unfortunately, it looks like we might actually have the time for that today. uh, And in the coming weeks ahead, uh, we still wanna keep this to about 30 minutes. Let's look at Psalm 103, this, this one picture, this one snapshot from God's word about who our Father is. These are the words of David from Psalm 103. Let's read verses one through five. David says, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle? So, who is God the Father? And again, I wanna, I wanna stress that question who is God the Father? Not what is God the Father, but who is God the Father? Because God is not primarily just a doctrine to be studied, He's a dad to be loved. He's not just a set of facts, He's a father. He's not just a series of principles, He's a person. Who is God our Father? We see first from Psalm 103 that He is holy and good. He's holy and He's good. David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless His holy name. What does it mean that God is holy? What does it mean that God is holy? You know, the easiest way to define holiness is to say that it's completely set apart from anything that's common. The great theologian R.C. Sproul said of God's holiness, God is holy because he is more set apart from his creation than any, anything or anyone else. Basically, God's holiness is a function of his transcendence. Because he is high and exalted, nothing in creation can match the Lord in his glory, power, and purity. So by saying that God is holy, what we're saying is that he is entirely other and apart from all of creation. He's completely set apart. And and oftentimes, I think it's unfortunate, this word holy, it comes across as, as very cold and hard. And it's generally not because of its definition, but because of its expression. Oftentimes what ends up happening is because of the unfortunate actions of, of some of us who, who claim to be the people of God, who claim to be followers of Christ, that this term holiness, unfortunately, I think gets diminished by the holier than thouness of many professing followers of Jesus. What we see ourselves sometimes as being high and mighty like the Pharisees in the New Testament. We've got all the right answers and we sort of become the standard by which we think everyone else should be living. But our holiness, we, we need to understand, does not come horizontally through what we see in others. It comes vertically from what we see in Christ. You and I are not the standard of holiness. God is the standard of holiness. And so we don't want this transcendent word to become tarnished by our condescending behavior as followers of Jesus. You know, if you ask the average person to name the single attribute of God that best summarizes who he is, I think probably the average everyday person, maybe even most of us would respond by saying that God is love, God's love. That this is just the, the most popular notion of who our God is. But if you really dig into scripture, the one attribute of God that's emphasized more than any of the other attributes is the truth that he is holy. Throughout scripture, the number three emphasizes total divine perfection, and the only attribute of God in all of scripture that receives this triple repetition is God's holiness. His word tells us not just that he is holy, but that he is holy, 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 and because he's holy, he's good. He's good. And these these words, again, oftentimes, I think we, we pit them against each other. We see holiness as something that's rigid and something that's cold and something that's hard, but because God is holy, God is also good. That's why David says in verse two, listen, forget not his benefits. Forget not his benefits. And what are his benefits? First and foremost, he forgives all your iniquity. He forgives all your iniquity. All of our sins are forgiven through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He heals all your diseases. what a timely word for for us today is the the threat of coronavirus is looming today and and concerns around it are preventing us from meeting this morning. Listen, this is a different sermon for a different day, but this is the promise for those who are in Christ, whether it's in this life or the next, our healing is coming. Either we're going to live or we're going to live. (laughs) And this is the hope of the gospel that we get to rest in today. Spiritually, physically, might be in this life, it might be the next, but for those of us who've been raised to new life in Christ, these things have no hold on us. He's the one who heals all our diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. What we, because of our sin, we, we, were, we were destined to, to eternal condemnation, separated from God, because he is holy and because he is good, He he doesn't leave any sin unpunished. And so this separates us from God, leads us to eternal separation from God. But because he's, he's good, because he's loving, he forgives us and he redeems us from the pit. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. So we are heirs to a divine throne. He satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like eagles. And it's for these reasons that David cries out these words, bless Yahweh. "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the great I am.'" Verses six and seven, "'The Lord works righteousness and justice "'for all who are oppressed. "'He made known his ways to Moses, "'his acts to the people of Israel.'" So our God is holy and good. And second, we see that he is righteous and just. He's righteous and just. Throughout Scripture, God's righteousness and justice very often go hand in hand with each other. But because God uh, is and does all that it's right, he's always in pursuit of what is just. Now, God's holiness is revealed in Scripture really has a lot more to do with his identity. It has a lot more to do with who he is. But God's righteousness and justice in Scripture uh, really reveal to us more about his activity, what he's doing, how it is that he's fleshing out that holiness and goodness in the course of the world. And there's no question when we look at the actions of God in the Old Testament, we look at the words of Jesus, the actions of the early church in the New Testament, we see very clearly that God is just. He is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. He shows no partiality. And he is uh, passionate about justice and righteousness being lived out that he, we, we pursue justice for spiritual poverty and for physical poverty, that these things often go hand in hand. Verse 7, he, he says here that, that he made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the people of God. When you go back to the book of Israel, the book of Exodus, the nation of Israel was in bondage and captivity and slavery in the nation of Egypt. And, and, and the way God leads ultimately to their spiritual flourishing is by first giving them physical freedom. We see his physical justice and spiritual justice going hand in hand with one another. And this is what he calls us to do as his followers in this world. Oftentimes we pursue the physical justice of others because we are passionate about their spiritual flourishing. These things go hand in hand. It's often in pursuing physical justice that we give the gospel the credibility that we preach about. When we can meet uh, physical needs of people, when we see the wrongs of the world and we as followers of Christ strive to make them right, this gives the eternal message of the gospel greater implications and gives it a real-world application for our world to be seen. God sees his people in bondage and slavery, so what does he do? He frees them. He's righteous and he's just. He always does what is right, and because of that, he's always in pursuit of what is just, and ultimately, their physical freedom leads to spiritual flourishing. Let's read verses eight through 12. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Let me read that one more time, just in case you're not quite awake yet this morning. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is, from the West. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Our God's holy and good, he's righteous and just. Third, he's merciful and gracious. He's merciful and gracious. That these words grace and mercy are really two sides of the same coin. Grace means that I've received something that I don't deserve. And so as it pertains to the message of the gospel, we as, as followers of Christ, we've received grace and that God has given us his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8, God, de- God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. In spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion of God, in spite of our rejection of God, in spite of our our calloused hearts towards God, even as we become followers of Jesus, in spite of at times our apathy and our indifference to God, in spite of all of this, God shows his love for us by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. That's grace. We've received something we don't deserve. Now, mercy is the other side of that coin, which means that we've not been given what we do deserve. What we do deserve because of our sin is judgment. What we do deserve because of our sin is condemnation. What we do deserve because of sin is separation from God for all of eternity. But God in his mercy has removed the penalty of our sin. His wrath has been poured out on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross who stood in our place and received the punishment for our sin so that we by faith could call on him, could call on his name, Repent, turn from our sins, believe in him, and be saved. That's mercy. God's removed the wrath that we deserve. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Church, if there, there was just some way that we, we could quantify our sins, if we were to write them down on paper, if we were to organize them into books, if we were to stack them onto shelves, every single one of us, myself, you, every single one of us, we would have our own personal library of Congress surrounding us the evidence against us would be overwhelming because our sin is not just our words and our actions. It's our motives. It's our intentions. The evidence against us is conclusive and overwhelming. But what does God do with our sin? What's he do with our sin? As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. As far as east is from west, that's how far he puts away our sin. And you know, I, I've just tried to wrap my brain around that language this week. I've tried to do my, my very, very best. I wanted to somehow be able to quantify this, you know exactly how high above the earth are the heavens, exactly how far is east from west. I really wanted to quantify this. And so uh, I did a lot of deep and intensive study this week into the languages and into commentaries and, and just different perspectives on, on this. And, and this is the conclusion that I've landed on. It's really, 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 really high and it's really 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 far but but if we could just somehow just in a, in a tiny way wrap our our small finite brains around this today just think about this with me for a moment uh, the voyager 1 was launched in 1977 in 2012 voyager 1 finally reached interstellar space it took it 35 years to get there and today, it's traveling roughly 39,600 miles per hour, about 11 miles per second. It's, it's currently traveling, and, and, and it's to the place now that's uh, its next great rendezvous. Its next great rendezvous. Now it's in interstellar space, traveling 40,000 miles an hour. Its next great rendezvous is going to come when it comes within 1.7 light years of the star AC793888, and that's going to happen in 40 thousand years. Voyager 1 has been traveling for 40 years. It's traveling at a speed of roughly 40,000 miles an hour, and it's still going to take 40,000 years at that speed to come within 1.7 light years of this star. You know what David says here in Psalm 103? That doesn't even scratch the surface of God's love for us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's the measure of his steadfast love. As far as east is from the west, that's what he does with our sin. And why is this? Why is this? It's because as magnificent as God is, as powerful is, as, he, as incredible as he is, at the end of the day, our God is a dad who loves his children. And any loving parent will do anything for their children. There's nothing that separates us from that Love. I'll never know which one is more amazing. I've spent a lot of my life wrestling with this question. It's, it's hard to know which one of these is more amazing. That God, in this very moment, is governing the movement of every subatomic particle on every star in the most distant, unexplored recesses of the universe. And at the same time, He knows that the, that the scar on my left knee is from a bike wreck when I was six. Our God is awesome, and He's also a dad. That's our father who loves us. Verses 13 and 14 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Our God is holy and he's good. He's righteous and he's just. He's merciful and and gracious. And last, he is loving and kind. He's loving and he's kind. As a father shows compassion to his children, the Lord shows compassion on us. I love this in verse 14, for he knows our frame. He knows our frame. He knows the stuff that we're made of. He, he knows that, that we, can, we can't handle anything on our own. He's, he's our father. He has been with us every moment of our life. He's been with us before every moment of, of our life. Uh, so you guys that know our family, we, we've got three boys. They're, they're seven, five, and Lincoln, our youngest, is almost three. And uh, back at Christmas, we got our boys a trampoline and uh, they, they've been loving this thing. And so Christmas morning, you know, once they saw that it was there they really quick, you know, they throw their shoes on, they run outside. And so our two oldest boys, Gideon and Nolan, who are seven and five, you know, they, they jump right in. They've done trampolines before and they're bouncing really high and they're all over the place. Well, then uh, Lincoln, our youngest, who's, who's almost three, uh, he's wanting to get in on the action with the big brothers, you know, but he's uh, maybe not quite as nimble as they are. His legs aren't quite as strong and, and not quite as stable yet. And so... We put him up there, and we're telling you know his brothers, hey, hey, be careful, guys. You know, Lincoln can't jump quite the way you guys can, and so, um, like very good brothers and, and older brothers, they're just punks like this, right? Like, like they they they're nice, you know, for just a second, but within ten seconds, man, they're they're double bouncing, and Lincoln, who who at first was stable and everything was good, uh, I turned my back and turned around, and suddenly, you know, he's bobbing up and down the air like a rag doll, and so what am I having to do as as a dad? I'm like, hey guys, like, like settle down. Like you can't do that to your, your brother. And of course, just being the punk big brothers that they are, they're laughing about it and they're giggling. Of course, Lincoln's crying and he's screaming. And, and listen, God is not like the punk older brother that a lot of us have. He's not like trying to double bounce us. He knows our frame. He knows what we can handle and what we can't handle. He knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. And he remembers that because it's God himself who created mankind from the dust. He was there. He knows what we are made of. And he's a father who loves us and cares for us. I think this is what's maybe the biggest game changer for for so many of us today. And we've said the last few weeks, we don't wanna just look at doctrine from a, a cerebral point of view. We don't just want this to be an exercise where all of our heads get bigger. We want our hearts to get bigger because we wanna be able to live this out in our world. And what I think somebody needs to hear this morning is that God is not primarily a doctrine. He's a dad. He loves us. He's not just a set of facts to be studied. He's a father to be loved. Not a set of principles. He's a parent. He's a person. And he loves us. He's given his son Jesus for us so that we can become his. This is, I think, a very defining question for our faith. A very important question for all of us to ask of ourselves. This is from Brennan Manning in his book, Abba's Child. He asks the question: Do you believe? that the God of Jesus loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, and your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God loves without condition or reservation and loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be? This is the defining question for us today. Do you believe that our Father loves you? Do you believe that regardless of where you are, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how many times you've done it, regardless of how many times you've told God you wouldn't do it anymore, but then still continued to fall and fail? Do you believe that our Father, even if you're not holding on to Him, is always going to be holding on to you? He will not leave us or forsake us. Our God is not a deadbeat dad. He's not gonna walk out on us. He's not gonna cause us harm. He's not going to cause us abuse. His love for us is undeniable and it's irrevocable. He gave his son Jesus so that we could become his. So what's our response to that? I mean, how how do we even begin responding to a love like this? Well, I think our response is at the very beginning of this Psalm, what we read earlier and how David leads out the entire thing in verses one through five. I think this needs to be our response today as well. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. What's it mean to bless the Lord? What does it mean to bless the God from whom all blessings flow? How do we actually engage in that? as his children. The ESV Global Study Bible had a note that I think really clearly summarizes this. To bless the Lord means to speak well of God for his abundant generosity. To speak well of him for his abundant generosity. All of the benefits are laid out here, again, for us in verses three or two through five. It says, bless the Lord all my soul and forget not all his benefits. What does he do? He forgives your iniquity. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So we bless the Lord with all of our soul and all that is within us. And every time I hear these words, uh, as we, we reflect this morning on God the Father, it reminds me of a story of my own father. Uh, my dad passed away several years ago, and I love to, to be able to share about him at least a couple of times a year because he's the most faithful follower of Jesus um, that I ever knew. And uh, my dad, we grew up in the church. My dad loved the Lord with all of his heart. Uh, he was a pastor's kid growing up, and he, he uh, served, worked full-time for, for a ministry for um, for about 30 years, and and just faithfully followed Jesus, I mean, to to his dying breath. And uh, my dad, uh, when I was a really young kid, the church I was born into, he served uh, as a lay music minister. He's bivocational, and I uh, served as a lay music minister in our congregations. He led us in music every single week, and then uh, for a season, he even served at that church kind of as an interim pastor while we were in between pastors, and so uh, was a busy guy. A word that we don't use a lot in our culture today, I mean, he was a churchman through and through. He loved the local church, and he he poured himself, uh, poured himself out heart and soul for the local church. But as much as my My dad loved to sing. He had a great voice. My dad was a passionate guy. He was a man of conviction. My my dad wasn't all that uh, emotional of a person when it came to expression in worship, in particular. And so, um, so you know, I I was born, you know, Baptist. And so, uh, God help us, you know, most of us when it comes to corporate worship, we were born with our hands in our pockets, just like this, you know, and cold stares in our face, and we don't have fun at church, right? Because like that's not that's not for Jesus. And so, uh, so my, my dad was born into some of that. He wasn't wasn't cold and rigid by any means, but you know, it was my dad was being emotional if he gave like a fist bump, you know, to a song uh, that he really liked as he was singing it. And and he'd sing with smiles and stuff on his face, but never one time did I see my dad actually lift his hands in worship until the year 2008. And you know what happened in the year 2008? My dad got cancer. And he had to have a major surgery and he missed several weeks of gathering together uh, with God's people, like what's happened unfortunately with us today. He missed several weeks of this and and, and, and he would uh, consistently say um, throughout this whole situation, those, those couple of months were the hardest couple of months uh, of the entire process because uh, he was removed from being with the people of God. That's the one thing that broke his heart the most. But there there's one Sunday in particular, he'd, uh, he'd, he'd kind of recovered from his surgery and had jumped back into singing with our choir on Sunday morning. And my brother uh, was actually leading a song that morning, very popular song that we sing very often, In Christ Alone. And and as we got to that verse, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. As those words were being sung as my brothers leading this song, I remember seeing at the top corner of the choir, suddenly two hands went way up in the air like this. And I looked up and it was my dad. And, and I was just stunned. I didn't know what to say. I was like, like, dad, like or are you okay? Like, you know, like what's, what's happening? And so I, I go to him, you know, after the worship service, he's just singing out with, with, with all of his heart, his hand just lifted straight above. And I went to I was like, hey man, like what, what was that about? Like, you know, you gotta get a little extra, you know, with Jesus today. Like what was, what was happening here in this moment? And he just puts his hand on my shoulder and he said, this is what the Lord's teaching me right now. Regardless of what happens to me, I'm gonna live and I'm gonna be with Jesus. It's gonna be in this life or the next. But he's going to heal me of this, he says. So as long as I'm here and as long as he's giving me breath in my body, I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to give him the praise that he deserves. That's what it means to bless the Lord with all of our souls. Church, here's the reality: it is as as the brokenness of our world is is a little bit more on display today. That reminder that man, we are just not in control. The, the reminder that the death is no respecter of persons. That sickness is no respecter of persons. Listen. God's word doesn't promise that we won't ever be healed of coronavirus, but his word does promise something so much greater that regardless of what happens in this life, we'll be eternally raised with him in the next. There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the promises of our heavenly father. This is what John writes in 1 John 3.1. He says, see what kind of love that the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. There's no greater promise than this. We who were children of wrath, who were separated from him, who turned our backs on him in eternity past, God the Father saw you and he called you by name before your parents ever even gave it to you. And in his grace and in his mercy, he looked at you and he said, he's mine. She's mine. And he enacted a rescue operation from eternity past to relentlessly pursue us until he had all of us. And in his grace and in his mercy, he's given us his son, Jesus Christ, so that we by faith can be united with him and become sons and daughters of a good heavenly father. God is not your deadbeat dad. He's a good father and he loves you and he's given everything for you. So, Father, we we pray this morning as we, we close together our, our time in your word. Lord, we you be glorified through the the words that are now in our hearts, Lord, where we live these things out, Lord, where we show the love of the Father to the world around us. God, could we today especially just rest in the promises of who you are, that we would not forget your benefits, that there's so many things that we can be frustrated about, that there's so many inconveniences that have been created in the last week, Lord. Help us as your people to forget not your benefits. What we've received something so much greater, something that this world can never take from us. And Father, the the primary foundation of our joy is not our convenience, it's not our health, it's not our comfort, it's what you've given us in your son, Jesus. So Lord, help us as your people this week to overflow with praise, even in the midst of frustration and inconvenience. Help us as your people this week to bless your holy name with all of our soul and all that is within us, that we would be people who choose praise over panic. Father, that we would be those who, who walk confidently, living by faith and not by fear. Lord, that the world could see you as beautiful and loving and kind and good. Father, be glorified today as your people are scattered all throughout our community, or scattered throughout the course of this world. Take these word, words and plant them in our hearts. Draw us close to you and make us yours. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for everything you've done. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Cross Family, we love you guys. It's been good to be with you in this capacity. We'll keep you posted on what's coming this week. But grace and peace to you as you go today.